Today, I get to continue in a series that we've called Generosity Reframed. Now, <clears throat> we've all heard that financial, giving financial resources in philanthropy or in tithing uh, is important, but many times uh, it's the last thing we as Christ followers release in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And so uh, in this series, uh, we've been trying to reframe generosity as it relates to money. Again, a topic that uh, in the church people love to talk about, right? Um, but we've been talking about money. And so uh, I'm excited to be able to continue that with you today. And to get us started, I want to share a little story. So back in uh, 2007, I was a part of a children's ministry staff. I am a former children's pastor. Uh, and I worked in, in a church on the north side of Indianapolis. And I got the opportunity to go to Kenya uh, to help put on a children's ministry conference with uh, one of our partner churches, Nairobi Chapel. And uh, man, it was an awesome experience. This trip had a profound and eye-opening experience for me in my walk with Jesus. And my view of God, material things, and generosity, man, it was reframed during this time. And although it wasn't my first time out of the U.S., it certainly had a long-lasting impact on me. And I, re I remember one instance in particular, we were going to the Kabira slums. Now, the Kabira slum is the largest slum in all of Nairobi, and it's the largest slum in all of Africa. It's a six square mile uh, plat, plat of earth uh, that hundreds and thousands of people live together in that six square miles in a very small space. And as we were getting ready to go to Kabira that morning, I remember thinking to myself, oh man, these poor people, man, they're living in such a difficult situation. They have to live on such a little amount every day to get by. They live in shacks made of corrugated steel and metal, and they live inches from each other and dirt floors and all of that stuff. And they're packed in such a small space. And I was really sad for them. And if I'm completely honest, I pitied them. And oh, how foolish I was. As we drove up uh, to some of our ministry partners, I can vividly remember droves and droves of kids smiling with their faces saying, how are you? How are you? How are you? Trying to speak to us in our native English. And as we got out of the van, man, there were songs of joy and praise for our safe arrival. And people were there to greet us and thank us for coming. And then incredible meals were laid out before us, which was so delicious. And even special glass bottles of Coca-Cola were purchased for our visit. And it was like the red carpet was rolled out for us and our hosts went above and beyond in their hospitality and their generosity towards us as their guests. And as you can imagine, it was certainly a humbling experience, right? Because here we are in one of the largest and poorest, poorest areas of the world, and generosity is being exemplified right before our eyes. And as the day went on, man, we met people and we heard stories about how God was moving in their community. And man, I was blown away. His faithfulness and his goodness in this six mile square inch uh, square area of the earth was beyond measure. And then we had this profound experience. We went to visit one of our mission partners. And everywhere we looked was what you might imagine when you think of poverty, right? There were dirt streets strewn with garbage. There were makeshift shacks. There were 
you know, random dogs, stray dogs in the streets, you know, on and on and on. But as we turned the corner at that moment, I was stopped in my tracks. Just inside the gate of our partner ministry was a beautiful jacaranda tree. And you'll see it on the screen. If you don't know what a jacaranda tree is, it's a, it's a, a tree that's native to South America, but it's planted all over the world because it has this beautiful, long-lasting purple, violet-colored flowers that are so beautiful. And man, let me tell you, as we came around the corner and we saw this tree, it was like God hit me upside the head with a two-by-four and said, Michael, I am here and I am at work. The purple color of this tree, I mean, it reminded me that Jesus is the king and he was there and there was hope. If you remember in scripture, right, purple is a kingly color, right? You'll remember that the soldiers that were mocking Jesus, right, put a purple robe on him because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So this purple tree made me become so aware of God's presence right there in the dirt streets that I was walking in. Were there problems? Yes. Was there poverty? Yes. But was there hope? Absolutely. Beyond, uh, after that, that experience, we went to visit and talk with people and every person we met told us about their hope in God. The hope and dependence that I saw in the Kabira slum is something that I will never, ever forget. It was so real, so true, so authentic. And it made me realize that it was something that I desperately needed. It made me wonder, why don't we have that kind of hope and desperation here in the West like they do in Africa? And I'll be honest, I was embarrassed by my naive and self-righteous perspective at the beginning of the day. But God used this experience to reframe my perspective in order to see things the way he sees them. My perspective was reframed. And so with that in mind, we're gonna talk a little bit about how to reframe some things for us today, specifically around generosity and money. And so I would love for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to land today. Uh, and I also just have to let you know, we're going to put the, the verses on the screen. But if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, a physical copy, man, we would love to get one too. You can stop by the Connection Corner or on, at the guest services on the way out. And we would love to give you a copy of the Bible today. Okay? All right. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, full stop. We cannot brush past this. Command those, in this. command those who are rich in this present world. Because guess what? Here's the deal. Whether you and I like it or not, we are rich by the world's standards. You and me. As an individual and not including the whole household, we are in the top 1% of worldwide wage earners if we make more than 60 grand a year. The median worldwide income, the median is about $2,800 a year, $2,800 a year. That means that half of the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income, 25 times 
the worldwide income. Talk about being rich in this present age. And chances are you are rich in this present world, especially if you compare or you and I compare our situations with someone around the world. So Paul in 1 Timothy is talking to us. Any one of us, anyone who has extra, anybody who's saving for the future, anyone who says, hey, I hope to retire one day, or anyone who says, I can occasionally go to a movie or go out to eat from time to time, any one of us who has extra. Within the world's economy, that makes most of us, if not all of us, rich. But the problem is, is that the American household family that's making $65,000, $70,000 a year, they might not feel rich, right? And although this is a true comparison, it doesn't always feel fair, does it? Right? It doesn't feel fair as Americans. We're like, well, yeah, comparing me to someone across the world is not fair. It's not apples to apples, right? The standard of living here in America is higher than it is over there. Right? Things are more expensive here. And you might be saying to yourself, yeah, Michael, you... Look, I'm barely scraping by. You don't know my story. And you're right. I don't. I don't know your story. And although I'm sure in a room this size and those watching online, that there are some of you that are not sure where your next meal is coming from. But for the majority of us, I would say the mass majority of us, this would be a correct description. We are rich in this present age. I heard a pastor recently say, the problem is with us as Americans is that we suffer from the Err syndrome. He said this, he said, the reason you don't feel rich is that you know people who are richer. Why we know people who are richer than us. We live by the world of Err, big Err, skinnier, higher, faster, shinier, right? So none of us feels rich and that's okay. But in the reality, we are because we have extra. I mean, this puts it into perspective, doesn't it, right? It, it reframes our worldview about what it means to be rich. And Paul here is saying to Timothy, talk to those who are rich in this present world. That's you and I, that's us. And he says, command them to, what's he command them to do what? Well, that's what he says next in this part of the passage. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. You see, Paul says not to be arrogant and to not put your hope in wealth because it's uncertain. But what struck me about this when I first read this is why did, why did Paul use the word Arrogant. I mean, he could have chosen any other word. So why arrogant? Well, arrogant is defined as making claims or pretensions to superior importance or rights. You see, I think Paul understood that if we have money and we have an abundance of it, we might be tempted to be arrogant and think that we are more superior than we are or think we are more important than we should. And I think Paul is cautioning us against this. You see, he knows what money can do. And I think he is saying, don't let it change how you think about yourself. 
Right? We read these words in Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, money has the power to influence us to think that we have more rights and things than we deserve than we do. Right? And Paul is saying here, I do believe Paul is saying, beware. Be on the lookout for this. And then he goes on to say, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I mean, wealth is uncertain. But if we're honest, that's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, for many of us, me included, we can all too easily put our hope in our bank accounts and our income, can't we? Right? It brings us comfort to know that we have a rainy day fund. It brings us comfort to know that if some large catastrophe happens, we are covered. Having money tucked away in our bank accounts, our investments, and our 401ks brings a level of safety and stability. And I know that's true for me. You can ask my wife. She'll attest to this. My anxiety level goes up and down with our bank account. I often struggle with scarcity mindset. When we have money in the bank, man, I feel good. Life is great. It's good. Things are going well. And when we're tighter or we don't have all the funds that we need, I'm anxious and overwhelmed and I feel stressed and I do all I can to try to fix the problem and fix it now. And here's the deal. It's normal to have a little bit stocked away, right? It's normal to feel anxious. But I'll tell you what, when I was preparing this and I was thinking, man, I often live in scarcity. And it made me question where I put my hope. I mean, do do I put my hope in wealth and money or in the God who can provide for every single one of my needs? I mean, it's a profound and poignant question. And if I'm honest, one that makes me uncomfortable. Because I don't like looking at the potential potential ugly part of that that says, do I really put my hope in my wealth or in my God? The apostle Paul knew knew this all too well. He addressed it in Philippians chapter four. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he goes on to say, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So where do I put my hope? In God or in my wealth? Let me ask you that question. Where do you put your hope? In God or in your wealth? And while you're thinking about that, let me move on to the next thing because I don't want to make you too uncomfortable, okay? Um, But uh, Paul goes on here and he says that wealth is also so uncertain, right? It's uncertain. So here's the question. Do we really want to put all of our hope in something that goes up and down, ebbs and flows, comes and goes? Do we really want to put our hope in that? 
I hope you would say, certainly not. We don't want to put our hope in that, right? I mean, how many of us remember uh, the crash of 2008, right? A time of great financial difficulty and uncertainty. Or even just the last couple of years, we can look around with all that happened with COVID, right? A time of uncertainty, Things when finances and money and uh, investments and everything up and down, up and down, so uncertain. Or even now, looking at the idea of inflation and the kind of ebb and flow and fluctuation of our economy, right? Money and wealth is so uncertain. And Paul here is saying, it's just this way. It's inherent to the way wealth works and the way money works. Sometimes we have plenty. Sometimes we are in want. Sometimes the market does well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we have a surplus. Sometimes we don't. So because wealth and money is so uncertain, we cannot and should not put our hope in it. It cannot be trusted to be there for you always. Wealth and riches cannot be depended on with certainty. It's so uncertain. And then Paul goes on here and he tells us what we can put our trust in and what we can depend on. And the beauty is it's not a what, it's a who. Paul goes on to write here in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but what does it say here? Put their hope in God who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So we can and we should put our hope in God because he richly provides. And not only that, this is what I love. He richly provides for our enjoyment. That amazes me. So that we have joy and enjoyment of the things that he provides. I think this speaks to God's faithfulness. He is faithful and he richly provides so that we can put our hope in him because of those things, right? The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this truth. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. And the psalmist also reminds us of this in Psalm 33. For the word of the Lord is right and true, but he is faithful in all he does. Here's the deal. God is a faithful God. Amen? Amen. God is a faithful God and he can be trusted. Just like God provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness, God will provide for us as well. He is the same God. He was faithful then. He will be faithful now. You can trust him because he is a true and faithful God. You can put your trust and your hope in him and him alone. Not your abilities, not your money, nothing else but him. And this was a lesson that I had to learn uh, over time and I'm still learning. Uh, When my wife and I first got married, which is 20 years ago, money was tight. We were living in Muncie and uh, she was working at the YMCA. I was teaching fourth grade and we were out on our own in the new world. The the new word these days is uh, adulting. We were out there adulting on on our own for the very first time. 
And man, it was fun, but man, it was stressful as well, right? There were months uh, when we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. And so uh, we would go out on a date from time to time and, and because we didn't know if we had all the money uh, to be able to go on a date. And uh, so if we did, we went to Texas Roadhouse before five o'clock because it was like half off. And so uh, we would go, we would share an eight ounce um, steak meal and we would eat as many cinnamon butter rolls as we could, right? If you've ever been to Texas Roadhouse, you know what I'm talking about. Those cinnamon butter rolls are legit, right? Uh, but but these were, those were the good old days, but I remember them being really stressful as well. And I remember saying to my wife, my new wife, stressed out saying, Allison, I'm gonna have to go get a second, maybe a third job. I don't know how we're gonna make ends meet. And it was really stressful. And so you could imagine <laughs> my surprise the day I came home and my wife said, hey, um, we're gonna start giving 10% to the church. I want, you to, I, want, I want to say that my reaction was godly and wonderful and said, God is so faithful, but it wasn't. I said, that's not going to work. <laughs> There's no way, right? My wife had, uh, had read a book called The Treasure Principle and she was convicted and convinced that we needed to give and God would be faithful. And I told her it wasn't going to work out. There's no way that's going to work out. We didn't have enough money to pay our bills. How in the world are we going to give 10% and then still pay our bills? And here's the kicker. I was a follower of Jesus, but I didn't feel like I could trust God or put my hope in his faithfulness because I couldn't see how it was going to work out on the balance sheet. But can I tell you something over the last 20 years? We went cold turkey then, and God was and continues to be faithful time and time and time again. Times when we didn't think we would have enough money in the bank to be able to pay bills, a check would show up in the mail at just the right time, an only God moment. Or when we, our kids were in diapers, they're not in diapers anymore. They loved that first service when I said that. Um, but uh, they're not when they were in diapers. And we didn't have money in our bank account to buy diapers for our kids. Someone would drop diapers at our front door. And God used someone to bless us. God was faithful to us. And even now, there, there's a, a leap of faith my wife and I are taking with our finances. And we're trusting God to, to provide for those needs right now. And the only reason we can do that is because he has been faithful to us for the last 20 years, over and over and over and over again. And I, met, I bet many of you could also say that same thing. He is a good and faithful God and he can be trusted. And, and I feel like I'm on the biggest loser show where I said, if I can do it, you can do it, right? But I, tru I believe that if I can do it, you can do it. Truly, God is a faithful God and you can put your trust in him, especially with your finances. And Paul knew this. And so he asked Timothy to remind the people that God is faithful so they could be confident in putting their hope in him. And I wanna say to you, it's the same for us today. It's true. He is a faithful and loving God and you can put your hope in him. And so... Uh, those of us who are rich in this present age, right? We should put our hope in God and not in money. And then Paul goes on to tell us how to live this out. And he makes it pretty clear in verse 18. So this is what he says. 
He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Paul tells Timothy to share three things with people. First, he's supposed to command them to do good, right? This means that they're supposed to do well and they're supposed to act rightly, right? Which reminds me of a verse that maybe you have stitched on a pillow at your house or something, right? Micah 6, 8, right? Uh, He has shown you, O, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, right? Right? To do good, right? Help them to do good. This is an outpouring of our hope in a loving and faithful God. And then Paul tells Timothy to tell the people to be rich in good deeds. And I love that language, to be rich in good deeds, which means they're supposed to do an abundance of good things to help and serve one another. Again, an outpouring of their and what should be our hope in God. And then finally, Paul instructs Timothy to tell the people to be generous and willing to share. This is an outpouring of our hope in a hopeful and loving and faithful God. Being generous and willing to share is the way that we show and share the love of Jesus with others. And it's a way for us to lean in to what love requires of us. I love definitions, so I'm going to throw another one at you. Generosity is defined as readiness or liberality in giving. I like that. Readiness in giving. For me, it feels like this active anticipation to jump into any opportunity that's compelled by our love and our hope in God. This active anticipation. Recently, I I borrowed some boating equipment from a friend. And uh, one of the tubes uh, had a small rip in it when we picked it up, but when we returned it, it had a very long rip in in the tube cover. And so uh, I was a little embarrassed, walked up to my friend and um, said, hey, um, so what do I owe you for the, for the tube uh, cover? And he said, nothing. And I was blown away and really grateful that I didn't have to buy a new tube cover. And he went on to tell me his philosophy about his stuff. And I thought, man, that's profound. I'm writing that down and I'm sharing that with Mission Point. Here's what he said. This is my philosophy of sharing your stuff. He said, if you're not willing to share your stuff, you don't own it, it owns you. If you're not willing to share your stuff, you don't own it, it owns you. I mean, I was floored. I mean, he had every right to ask me to pay for a replacement, but he shrugged it off like, that's not a big deal. You see, my friend was not owned or mastered by money or possessions. He was compelled by his love and his hope in a God who's provided for him. He says, and I can't take it with me anyway. So it's not a big deal. Right, it reminds me of what we read in Acts chapter two, right? We often say, let's go back to the Acts chapter two church. Well, this is what it is. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give, to give to anyone who had need. They shared their stuff generously and not just like, not their stuff, right? They were compelled by their love and their trust and their hope in God that they shared their stuff, but they also shared their money. So much so that they sold their houses and their properties to give to people who were in need, 
Talk about sacrificial and radical generosity. I mean, this is a great example for us to follow and to live into the words of Paul here in 1 Timothy, to be generous and willing to share. The great author and thinker C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, I do not believe that anyone, that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those that are with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Right, this, this idea that, man, we can't say, oh gosh, I can only give this. It's like, we should give more than we can spare. And if we're at the same level as everyone around us, it might show us where our heart is. And I think Paul and Timothy would agree with C.S. Lewis here. I think they would say amen and amen to that. And they would encourage us to lean in and to live this kind of generous lifestyle to be a person of generosity. And it's not just Paul and Timothy who challenge us on this. This idea of being rich in this present age, Jesus also talked about this in the book of Luke when he was trying to explain one of his parables. He said this, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been trusted with much, much more will be asked. You see, living as a person of generosity is a critical, a critical part of our apprenticeship to Jesus. I mean, it's one that has the potential to dramatically impact our life and the lives of all of those people around us as we share and show the love of Jesus to them. I mean, honestly, it's why we wanted to do this series, because we want you as people of Mission Point, as the church, to be generous and willing to share. And then finally, Paul finished his instructions to Timothy in verse 19. And he talks about the outcome, what the outcome of of this life of generosity is. This is what he says. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And this resembles uh, resembles what we read in Matthew 6, where he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, I think we all aspire to be people who store up treasures in heaven, but I think if we're honest, we all too often store up treasures here on earth for our own comfort, our own security, and our own entertainment. And Jesus and Paul here are showing us here what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of God is about. They're sharing with us that citizens of the kingdom of God live differently. Citizens of the kingdom of God live generously. We are people of generosity. And one of the main rewards in heaven, man, it will be the people that we've played a part in impacting. That's what it's about. I heard a a pastor once ask a very crucial and critical question as it relates to this conversation. And he said, do you want more stories or more stuff? Do you want more stories 
or more stuff. And I think when we all die, right, we want people to talk about how we impacted their lives and brought transformation rather than what we owned or had in the bank, right? Right, we want stories of how we gave ourselves away to people and how we were generous and how God used us to further his kingdom. I think we all want more stories rather than more stuff, but sometimes we can get blinded by that. And that's what Paul means here in 1 Timothy when he says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, this life, this idea of living a generous life, is the life that Jesus talked about in John 10, 10, when he said life and life to the full. It's this idea of being able to be used by God for kingdom purposes, to see lives transformed and impacted for his glory. We all know this, but we sometimes get blinded by it, right? Treasures on earth, man, they can only bring temporary happiness and false hope and peace. But the hope we have in Jesus The hope we have in Jesus, man, it's one that pushes us towards generosity because God was generous to us, right? The hope we have in Jesus helps us to release this resource so that we can be a part of someone's story of transformation and life change. And that's truly what we hope and pray for each person here at Mission Point. Man, we wanna help encourage and equip you to be generous Jesus followers. Generous Jesus followers. We desire to help you use your time, your talent, and your treasure for kingdom purposes. That's why we spend so much time talking about showing and sharing the love of Jesus and why we try to give you as many opportunities to be on mission as possible. We desire to help you and equip you to be people who live, on, live with margin, so you can live on mission. You have live with margin so you can live on mission. And man, many of you are doing this. You can certainly do that in community, uh, in the community and other organizations around our community. And many of you are doing that, which is awesome. But that's why we also think it's really important for you to be an active member of this body of believers as well and why it's so important. We desire for every single one of us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and then be generous and willing to share. Right? We desire to see every single one of you, from a high school student, college student, to someone all the way who's retired, to be able to either step into giving or to grow your generosity through Mission Point. Right? The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, check this out, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, we want to equip you to be on mission. Part of that is excelling in this grace of giving. To be people of generosity. But here's the deal. Generosity can be really hard to live out and to put into practice. A Barna research, uh, that's, they, do, they do church uh, research stuff. A Barna research article published just last year said that two in five practicing Christians give at least 10% of their income to the church. Two in five. And I totally understand that because giving is an act of trust. 
It's an act of trust and it tells us where we put our hope. It's hard to release these things to God when they impact so many areas of our lives from how do we care for our kids and what do we do? How do we put gas in the car? How do we put food on the table? So it's hard to release these things that impact so many areas of our life. But as we've been talking about today, God is a faithful God. And so we can put our trust and our hope in him and we can release our finances to his kingdom work. And as Kondo said over these last few weeks, money matters, which is why we're having this conversation. And what we sow matters. And so we want to become people of generosity. And let me tell you, when you trust and hope in God and you give generously, it reveals your trust in God and you maybe that trust level, but it also makes a real difference in the lives of real people making the love of Jesus seen and felt in a real and tangible way, which by the way, is why we exist as a church, right? We want to live generous lives and we want you to live generously. But because of that, we will continue and we will always invite you to be generous through the ministries of this church, right? Because when you're generous through the ministries of this church, it allows us to be such kingdom influencers and make such kingdom difference in our community and around the world. As Kondo said a couple of weeks ago, your generosity fuels the mission. It does. So much so that I want to share some information with you. Uh, Like your generosity allows us to create this environment right here in the high school every single Sunday, where just a few weeks ago, 27 people were baptized, which was an amazing Sunday. Right? We're able to serve in ways in Lincoln Elementary through Love Ed and impact teachers and students in that, in that school. We're able to help parents and kids in the foster care system through your generosity. We're able to put pumps in the ground, living water right there for people in Zambia that have a basic need of clean water. Right? You get to help us when you, when you give through the ministries of the church. You get to help us pay an incredible team of people who help create an environment where people meet Jesus, where kids get to know who their, who their Savior is and how much they, he loves them. And uh, you, people who get to have students who have leaders who come alongside them to be able to show them the love of Jesus and to be able to show their peers in their high school who Jesus is. Right? It allows us to take our messages and put it on the internet and on our podcast and goes all across the world. Right? And we want to invite you to be a part of what's happening through the ministries of this church. You get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You get to be a part of transforming and changing lives. Life to the full. Treasures in heaven. That's what it's about. Man, I can't tell you, we're so grateful for your generosity. We really are. We say it every week, but we really are. But you might not know some of the basics of Mission Point finances. So I want to give you a couple of those today. You may or may not know, but it takes $83,250 a month for us to do what we do as a church. And man, so many of you give towards that goal every single month, and we cannot thank you enough. It's amazing. And many times, I think today is an example of that, where our attendance is over 600. And so we're seeing growth. 
And that number of 600 doesn't even include all of the people who call Mission Point home, right? There's many more than that. And over this last fiscal year, 295 of you gave faithfully to this church. And I just want to say thank you. We're so grateful for you. And 27% of those of you who gave did reoccurring giving. And you might say, Michael, why are you talking about reoccurring giving? It sets up consistency so that we can continue to do the ministries of this church, right? And I would love for even more of you to get involved and jump into recurring giving because uh, if you don't know, summer months are a little bit lower and attendance drops and those kind of things. And our, our, um, our giving drops to about $65,000 a month, a little bit lower than our average monthly need. So recurring giving helps us. And I just want to say thank you to that. I mean, we desire to see everyone who calls Mission Point home to live with hope and generosity. And the good news is, Kondo said this week one, we're strong financially. And that's because of so many of you. And we just want to say thank you. But the even better news is that we have room to grow. We can get better at this as well. Although we steward what comes in every month and every year to this church, the reality is that there's some things that we can't do right now that we would love to invite you to join us on this journey to generosity so that we can do. And here are just a couple of those things. If just 50 people started giving $100 a month, we could hire a full-time student ministries pastor. Yeah, that's huge, right? You may or may not know that we have a volunteer who does it, who's incredible, those kind of things, but we don't have a student ministries pastor and we would love to, to do that, but we can't afford it right now. And so we would love to see that happen, right? We have 3,500, the YFC gave us this information, 3,500 middle school and high school students in our county that we wanna start reaching. But we, need it. we really do believe we need a student pastor to do that. And college students in the room, man, that full-time student pastor would also be your ministry leader. We want that person to be able to help you connect as well, right? So if 50 of you just started giving $100, we could do that. Or if 50 people started giving $100, we could offer a group insurance plan to our staff. We don't currently do that. I mean, I would love to be able to do that for our staff. Or if 50 people just gave $50, $50 a month or $50 more a month, we could afford to buy a new truck for our church. If you've seen our truck that pulls the trailers as we set up here at the high school, it's in pretty rough shape. It's rusting through. We pray over it often to say that it will continue, that it will continue. Um, but man, we would, if 50 of you just gave $50 a month, man, we could, we could do that. Or if 50 of you just started giving $25 a month, we could fill the CCS food pantries for two months. Or we could give 600 pairs of socks to every school in Warsaw. Or 300 coats to every school in Warsaw. Right? These are just some of the things where it's like, we are strong financially, which is awesome, but man, we have so much more kingdom work that we want to do in this community and around the world. And we're asking for your partnership to be able to do that. And we're inviting you in to be generous with us. And so to end today, I just want to ask you two questions. The first one is, where do you put your hope? Where do you put your hope? Is it in your wealth, in your stuff, in your stability, in your abilities? Where do you put your hope? And then the second question I want you to ask yourself is, how can you grow in your journey to generosity? What might God be inviting you into 
as it relates to generosity. Whether you're a college student, whether you're in your 50s or in your 70s, what is God inviting you to do as it relates to generosity? Maybe it's 10% cold turkey, like my wife and I did 20 years ago. Maybe for you, it's an increase of 1% this year. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a year-end gift. Or maybe you just forego some of those extras, that Taco Bell run or whatever it might be. Maybe my wife gave me this idea. Maybe it's a no-spend no November and you just give that away. I don't know what it is for you, but where can you grow in this grace of giving? Where can you grow in your journey of generosity? And to end, I wanna read for you a scripture from Malachi 3 that I think speaks to God's faithfulness in this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. God says, test me in this. Kondo said that last week. Test me in this. For six months, test me in this. He says, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. You see, our hope and our challenge to all of us is to reframe our perspective on generosity and to live as First Timothy apprentices of Jesus, where we lean in to sacrificial, radical, ridiculous generosity. And then we get to step back and watch God do what only God does. And we can say, man, we got to be a part of what God is doing. We get to be used by him for his kingdom purposes. And that is our hope and our prayer for each one of us here and all of us online. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this, this truth that God, that you are a God who is a God of abundance, that you are a God who is rich in love and grace towards us. And God, that you have bestowed on us so many blessings that you desire for us to be generous as well. And so God, I pray that you would help us to not only uh, hear these words today, but God, that you would give us the courage to do something with what we've heard today. That God, that we know that you desire for us to be a, a people of generosity, that you kingdom uh, kingdom citizens live differently. And so God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment and the strength and the courage to live this out day to day and then watch as you continue to do the good work that only you can do. Thank you for inviting us into this work. Thank you that we are uh, plan A and there is no plan B, God, that you're gonna use us and you're gonna use this church and you're gonna use the church to further your kingdom until one day you come back and put it all right. And so, God, I pray that you would inspire us and convict us and guide us in this journey. God, we want to be just like Jesus, who sacrificially and generously gave his life for us. And so, God, as we put these things into practice, I pray that you would help us to know that we can trust that you are a firm foundation, God, that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, and that we can see that in our day-to-day and our month-to-month and our year-to-year. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.